0: our series is on the book of romans love letter to the empire and we've already looked at how paul was called to to write this letter and and not just write the letter but to to reach the gentile world and rome is the center of the gentile world at that time we looked at how um, we are mutually encouraged by god's righteousness and then last week, the, the hard news, but the news we need to hear is that there is wrath from God, but who deserves it? And today, judgment from God. Do we have a good case? This is my, my summary about the first several chapters of this book. And as I, as I pointed out last week, and last week was kind of the deepest and darkest of it, but there's a continual te- teaching by Paul in these early chapters of Romans about the condition of mankind. It is both mine and ours together. While I'm not guilty of every wrongdoing listed, especially in the first chapter, I am still guilty before God of something. And and, and I need to admit that to God and to myself. And so this is what I'm saying that that we're gonna continue to see in various ways as we get into really halfway through the third chapter. The gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is great news, the best news ever, but in order to more fully understand just how good it truly is, we first need to see how bad things truly are. This is what Paul, the writer of Romans, is doing from verse, chapter 1, verse 18, to chapter 3, verse 20, and we're kind of in the middle of that right now in the beginning of the second chapter. There is a God, and I'm not him. I, maybe you've heard that phrase before. I, I looked up and tried to see if I could find uh, the person that originated so I could give credit to him or her for saying that or writing that. But it, it, it kind of varies uh, where it may have come from. We're not sure. One of the more common recent uses of this word, of that phrase, came in a, in a movie that came out in the 1990s called Rudy. Anybody see that? Is about a football player who uh, went to Notre Dame, and but he wasn't um, he wasn't big enough to play at that level of college football. But he really wanted to play for the team, and he and he tried really hard. And um, it's it's a great story of of perseverance and, and. you know, and dedication to something. And basically he, you know, he ends up playing very briefly on the field, but along the way, he inspires the rest of the team. He wasn't big enough and talented enough to really make the starting lineup or even get on the field very often, but his passion for his team was was really evident. As he's dealing with the frustrations of even trying to get on the team while he's at Notre Dame, he goes to the, the, the church and sits with the priest for a few moments, and he's frustrated that God's not answering his prayer. And so the priest is listening to him, and the priest looks at him, and he says something along these lines. He says, well, well, young man, there's, there's, there's two things that I know for sure. There is a God, and I'm not him. And he goes on to encourage him a little bit. I use that this morning because we need to have a very honest assessment of ourselves. That's why I used this broken mirror with the children a moment ago. To, to look at ourselves and to see us for what we really are. And, and that's what the Word of God helps us to do. It helps us to to look and open our eyes. Were you ever afraid to look in the mirror because of what you might see? With me every morning, you know. Um, But it's like, oh, I'm not sure I want to see this. There's something on your face or, you know, something else. But you have to go to find out what it is, you know, And, and, and to take care of it if you can. Well, the mirror of the Word of God looks within. And it helps us to see Us for who we us for who we really are, broken as we really are. And then to to admit it to ourselves and to admit it to God and and quite often to others, and that can be a huge challenge because it all of us have a nature within us that is very defensive. I'm not wrong there's nothing wrong with me. It wasn't my fault. I didn't do that. And and the, the, the defense has come up. And I'm going to call that the, the judgmental heart. And we're going to see in the scripture this morning several things about the judgmental heart. Now, the reason Paul is writing it specifically right here at this point in his letter to the church in Rome is that church had a, a division among the people. There was two kind of groups. There was those who were Jewish and were believers in Jesus, okay, because they're part of the church, and there were the rest of them were Gentiles, and they were also believers in Jesus. And those two groups were sometimes at odds with one another. And unlike most of the the other churches that that Paul started, in fact, he didn't start this one at all. But he he heard about what they're doing and wants to to help them. Most of the other churches, it was the the Jewish believers in Jesus who had the upper hand. And in this case, it was the opposite. Now, what Paul is doing and teaching here is them that no one should have the upper hand. The fact that you have to put it that way shows that there's a problem because we are one in Christ. And there shouldn't be division between the Jew and the Gentile. There shouldn't be division between the man and the woman, the young and the old. We are one in Christ. And he teaches that consistently, not just in Romans, but in all of his writings. And if he were to write a letter to Bushco Community Church today, he would encourage us to make sure that we don't have divisions. And if we do, to address them because we are indeed one in Christ. But one of the reasons that that divisions rise up is because the, the background that each of us have when we come into faith when we come into the church when we become a part of the church it varies for all of us we we have influences growing up and some of them not necessarily good that we can carry into not just the church but into our relationship with god through christ that have to be kind of worked out and worked through perhaps some teachings that that we were given that don't really match up with what we see revealed in the Bible, perhaps some other ways that that we have to examine. And all that is is part of of looking at ourselves for who we truly are. So part of the problem in the church in Rome among the Gentile believers, that is anyone who wasn't a Jew, is they had two big areas of influence. Now, all the Gentile people in all the Roman world were, were not all the same. They all had different influences. It was a very complex world with with many different ways of thinking, many different religious beliefs and teachings. But two of them that were prevalent in the church in Rome were, first of all, what's called God-fearers. They were people who were not Jewish, but embraced the ways of the law of Moses and the prophets that the Jews were teaching. Most of the world believed in many, many gods. And here was this little group of Jewish people down there in Palestine that only believed in one God, and while most of the world thought it was strange, some of the Gentile world was intrigued by that. and thought, wait a minute, maybe they're right down there. And and there's a way, even in the Law of Moses, for people who weren't born Jewish to come in and to be part of it, which is always God's desire to bring everybody in. So these God-fearers were among the people who not only believed in the law and the prophets and, you know, the way of what we call the Old Testament, they also embraced Jesus as the Messiah that that whole Old Testament points to. There was a second group among the Gentile believers in Rome, and they had an influence from Greek philosophy. They loved the writings of of Socrates and Plato and, and there, there was a lot of wisdom there. There's a lot of good things about Greek philosophy. There's also some not so good things. But they, they recognized that, that some of what Plato and Socrates and others were pointing out even matched up with, with the story of Jesus in, in some ways, or the teachings we see in, in the Proverbs, for example. And so they kind of brought that into their Christianity. Now... The way these two came together, that is the the God-fearing influence and the Greek philosophical influence was this. They both shared the idea that morality matters a lot. Moral code, doing things right. And there is certainly a place for that in a walk for Christ, but the danger is this. You can begin to feel morally superior to everybody else who doesn't seem to understand as well as you do. And you begin to look down upon others who see it differently. And perhaps you become critical of others who see it differently. And perhaps you become judgmental and condemning of those who don't agree with you. And when you attach Christianity to that, then you're starting to push away the true message of the gospel which is forgiveness of sin yes to line up your life with to to obey god out of love not out of fear not out of you know hoping that your good outmeasures your bad when you stand before god one day but that you are loved and accepted by him here and now And this was part of the influence and why Paul's writing this particular thing. This judgmental heart was beginning to take hold, but it's also something that we're all probably guilty of at some level. The judgmental heart, first of all, denies the truth in the mirror. You see yourself, but you don't see yourself as clearly as you should. Back to the first couple of verses there. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. We're all guilty of something, so when we pass judgment on others, we're just, it's like a boomerang. It comes back and hits us, you know, sooner or later. And so this is the the first warning of of a judgmental heart. And then down in the fourth verse, the judgmental heart ignores God's kindness. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Repentance, that's a very churchy word. That's a very Christian word. You probably don't use or hear that word very often, if ever, outside of the uh, the church, outside of the Bible, outside of, of Christian teaching. And what does that word mean? Very simply, You're going in one direction. You're on one path. And you realize while you're on that path at some point, wait, this is the wrong direction. I'm going the wrong way. My life is going the wrong way. And you stop and you turn around. It is is the turning in a new direction. That's literally what repenting means, turning. Turning toward God. Turning, Turning toward the way that you need to go. That's what repentance means. So when God calls people to repent, when God calls us to turn around, how does he do it? Does he do it with shouts from heaven? Does he do it with with thunder and lightning? Does he he do it with, with threats? You better get it right, Paul Miller. That's enough of that. Or else... How many times have I told you? Scolding me like the parent frustrated at their son or daughter. No, that's not the God revealed in Scripture. So what does it say here in Romans 2.4? It is His kindness that leads us to repentance. This brings us back to the mirror. When when we look in the mirror that, that God is showing ourselves about us, and we see what's not good we are instinctively fearful that we're going to be condemned because yeah I did something wrong and then we're waiting for the shout especially if you grew up in a circumstance where whenever you were wrong you were yelled at whether whether it be at home or or by by teachers or other people in authority in your life Like, like if that is the the standard way of operating for you that you experienced, then it's, it's a little harder for you to believe that God isn't going to do the same thing, and and so we we take we take our experiences our experiences and in our perceptions of of the way in which God is by based upon what we've experienced here by authority. So if I have an overbearing mom or dad in my life even as an adult, the echoes of that childhood condemning voice can still play a role in how I see God now. And so for me to admit, look in the mirror and say, yes, that's me, and yes, I did it wrong, you you don't want to do that because you feel like God's going to yell at you. God's going to punish you. And yet, we see here in Romans 2, no, that's not the way God calls us to turn. God calls us to kindness. Now, where's the kindness? Please hear this. The kindness is in the fact that that's exactly what God doesn't do. He doesn't do what the rest of the world often does, is condemn you when you screw up. The fact that God says, yeah, I see that. That's not good, Paul. I still love you. I still forgive you, and let's work on that. Kindness kindness is not a wimpy soft word kindness is is comes from the heart of God and it comes in a f- with with firmness with, with with an affirmation that that you matter and and, and and while you have brokenness while you have failure while you have sin that that matters too but you matter more and I love you even though you've done that and it's okay that's the greatest act of kindness ever given. That's the kindness that, that I always tried to give to my children. Didn't always succeed at it. But when they messed up, I could yell, I could holler, I could be frustrated. I told you a hundred times. Or I can say, yeah, honey, look, no, this isn't good. Now let's do better. And maybe there's a consequence I have to give them. Some kind of form of punishment or discipline. But, you know, it's all in the context of a loving kindness toward them. That's how God treats us. And a judgmental heart refuses to even experience that because it refuses to admit that it's even possible. The judgmental heart is, is stubborn and unrepentant down there at the at the fifth verse. <clears throat> but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, You are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Each person will be repaid according to what he has done. Now that sounds exactly like the kind of God that some people are afraid of. Maybe you're afraid of. I'm going to see it's all stored up. I'm going to get it. Well, the wrath, as we mentioned last week, isn't the lightning bolt from heaven or the earthquake under your house not, I'm sorry, that's not a good metaphor to use today. But you, you get what I'm saying. The, the, the scary thing that could happen to you because you did something wrong. That's what our hearts tell us, the, the broken part of our heart. But what, what God is doing here is His wrath is allowing you to experience the result of your own choice. And when we're on that wrong path, it leads to bad places and it leads to harmful things and it leads to damaging things and you're going to experience that. That's God's wrath. He doesn't have to do anything extra. The person warned about their, their drinking that they can't seem to control, you know, they're, they're, and, and becomes addicted to it, they don't have to be additionally punished. That person can can lose so much if they don't get that addiction under control. They can lose their job. They can lose their right to drive a car. They can can lose their their family even. And probably many of us know people who are addicted to substances where that's exactly what happened. That is the wrath of their choice. That's what happened because of it. And, And this is the same way here what Paul's pointing out. And stubborn and unrepentant heart um, just refuses to even hear that. The judgmental heart rejects the truth. The seventh verse says, To those who persist in doing good, seek glory, honor, immortality, he will give eternal life. And on to the eighth verse: But those who are seeking, who are self-seeking, who reject the truth, follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Again, the same thing. You're just going on this path apart from God's presence, apart from God's provision, apart from God's blessings. You're just, okay, that's the way you want it. Plenty of people go that route. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said, um, wide is the road that leads to destruction and everyone follows it. It's an easy path. Everybody goes that way. And they're all angry and frustrated at each other all along the way, blaming each other all along the way. But... Very few of them are seeing that little alternative path over here to real life that Jesus is inviting them to, calling out for. That's the path we can take. But if you want to walk toward destruction, God gave you a choice. And you can continue to choose that, or you continue to choose his love, and that means his kindness, and that means seeing yourself for who you are and letting him love you right there. The judgmental heart can only lead to trouble. Ninth verse there will be trouble and distress for every human being that does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, first the Jews, then the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. Now, Paul, this is one of these points where Paul is, he's gonna make a bigger point at the beginning of chapter three that really nobody does this in the sense of doing absolutely everything right so then they deserve God's honor now that's impossible and that's what that's in part what he's showing but he's also revealing to us the importance as followers of Jesus here and now To you don't have to go that way anymore you know where it goes it just leads to trouble it leads to problems get off of that path how many of you know someone in your life and maybe it is the person in the mirror that well, it wouldn't be you just yet if, if, you, if you apply this, but everyone else sees the, the trouble that they're in and the decisions that he or she continues to make and is pointed out to them sometimes with love and sometimes maybe with anger, you got to stop this. And they don't hear and they don't hear or refuse to hear. That's the circumstance this is, is looking at here It only leads to trouble and that's the way that you're going to destroy your life. Judgmental heart will never make you right. Verse 12, all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Declared righteous is justified. Now again, it's not be, it's because you obeyed in the sense of obeying God. The teaching of Jesus, the the forgiveness of Jesus, you you've accepted that love from Him, and, and again he'll 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 talk about that more, but that where it says there at the end of the thirteenth verse, uh, declared righteous, it might even say in some translations, uh, justified or justification, which is another big churchy word. I'm glad the NIV here used declared righteous. That sounds a little a, a little better, um, but the thing is. And that's the point Paul is making here in the bigger picture of this, this ongoing writing he's making here. That if you just depend on your own goodness, your own attempts, your own obedience, your own being right, to make you right in God's sight, you're wasting your time. It doesn't work. It doesn't add up. And so, but the judgmental heart won't hear that. See, the judgmental heart just never refusing to look at itself, just looks at everyone else. Oh, look at them. Oh, look at him. Look at her. Oh, I'm doing better than they are. And, and, it, and it's a constant effort to look better than somebody. And it, it's a failing attempt to build up your own self-esteem, your own ego, to... Lie to yourself, basically, lie to God, lie to others that, no, I don't need help. I don't need to change. I don't need to repent. I don't need God. When Moses wrote the Ten Commandments, well, God gave them to him, excuse me, but one of those commandments is to not put any other gods before me. And usually we think in terms of that means don't bow down to an idol, especially in the ancient world. And today we rightly apply that to not making anything in our life an idol. You know, money can be an idol. Our job can be an idol. A relationship can be an idol. There are lots of idols in our lives, idols in our hearts. One of the ones that gets, I think, forgotten is the idol in the mirror. Sometimes we replace God and, and, and we are our own God in a sense. And, and so this is what, um, again, Paul is, is, is coming out against. Are you God? Do you believe what we began with today? There is a God and I'm not him. And yet, the judgmental heart pretty much puts itself in God's place because God is the ultimate judge. When you put yourself in the place of judging other people, you are putting yourself in the place of God. Now, there is a a, a role to play for making good evaluations and and, and corrections in people's lives when you're in the proper place of authority to do so, like with our children. We make judgments all the time. I think perhaps a more helpful word in in this moment here for For judgment is is condemnation. We should not condemn other people. That's not our job, for sure. Ever. As Paul writes later in this letter, there is no condemnation in Christ. That doesn't just mean that I'm not condemned from Christ, praise God. That also means that I don't pass on condemnation to anybody else because its it doesn't fit, it doesn't work together to say, praise God, my sins are forgiven, I'm no longer condemned by the God of heaven, the creator of the universe who loves me, and then go and condemn my neighbor, my friend, my co-worker, my family member, whoever it might be. There is no more condemnation in Him. So when we find ourselves in that condemning place, that's a sign that we still have that judgmental heart. And lastly, the judgmental heart knows that it shouldn't be. shouldn't be condemning, that is. 15 says they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their conscience is also bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and other times defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. In other words, we know better. Even, and it it, it kind of began with this back in in the first chapter of Romans, when it talked about, you know, all the world knows. Even if they have no access to this book, or the teachings of this book, or the ways of God, no one's told them, there is something written on our hearts that knows better. Knows better that you shouldn't be taking life. Knows better that you shouldn't be, you know, just taking something from someone else and, and, and letting that possession grab your heart and stealing it from them. We, we, we get that. And that's why most cultures in history have laws against theft, have laws against murder. Why? Even though they had no influence whatsoever from this book and the writings of this book, it was still written on their hearts. And so we all know better. We know that the heart can be judgmental and somewhere way underneath all that condemnation of others, this isn't right, this isn't good, this isn't helpful. Let's return to that last verse as we wrap this up in the 16th verse. This will take place in the day when God judges people's secrets. Wow, that sounds scary. God judges people's secrets. Wait a minute, Pastor Paul. You just said he's not going to judge us. Well, read on. Because no one wants to stand before God when they die, shaking in their boots, you know, like, okay, start the film. (laughs) My life. It's interesting, too, those people that have had near-death experiences talk about their life flashing before their eyes. You know, that's that's, kind of curious how that all works. but, But... Hang on there, okay? It is, in what sense are people judged and how does Jesus judge us? Now, let me read that verse again. This will take place in the day when God judges people's secrets through Christ Jesus. So don't stop at the judging my secrets thing and and get scared of that. Think about through Christ Jesus. So that begs the question, how does Jesus judge or what kind of judge is Jesus? John 5, we'll come back to that. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who, excuse me was the son of God and those who hear will live for as the father has life in himself so he has granted the son also to have life in himself and he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man So the judgment from Christ is that you who have admitted to Him and to yourself that you are in need of Him and you just simply ask for forgiveness of Him, He no longer condemns. He no longer judges. If you stand in rejection of Him and refuse to believe that and put yourself in His place, then all that judgment kicks in. Oh, Paul Miller, you think you're your own God? Okay, start the film. Look at that, look at that, look at that, look at that. And it goes on for 63 years, and there's a lot of stuff to pull out of those years. Wow. But that's not the judgment we experience. This, the judgment we experience before Christ is, yeah, I took care of all that. I went to the cross, and I, I, I washed it away. And I see the good, and Paul writes in another book about the judgment in the sense of our goodness being somehow blessing in in heaven and and acknowledged in heaven, and crowns or whatever that means. I don't know exactly. You know, crowns don't really excite me, but it's the idea of honor, of incredible honor. So this is a good verse to remember about how Jesus judges. The humble heart lets the light of truth reveal the many flaws and faults of the person in the mirror and lets the love of Jesus be your judge. Father, help us to accept, understand, to believe that you love us that much through your Son Jesus. That you see all that we are all of our brokenness, all of our failures, all of our sin, and still love us, and have indeed forgiven us. But we need to receive it. We need to say yes to it. And if you need to say yes to that today, then do that right now. Are you ready? Are you ready to acknowledge, to believe in, to trust Jesus? To forgive you. To believe that he sees you better than you see you. Sees and knows everything about you. And still loves you. And for all of your failings, fallings, and sinfulness, he has forgiven you. Do you believe that? Tell him that. Even in this moment, say, Lord Jesus, as we sang earlier, Lord, I need you. Forgive me. Help me. And help me to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.